So let me read to you from James chapter 1, and we'll get straight into it, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, and let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he looks like. The only slight problem with that is these days when you go to the shops and you see lots of windows, lots of you kind of look at yourselves as you're walking past the windows. But apart from that, we go on to the next verse. (laughs) There weren't windows in those days. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. world. I know it's difficult when you've been just so sensing God speak and minister to us as he has done and touching our hearts to then kind of transport ourselves into James but I want to do it seamlessly by saying this that God is speaking to us far more than we realize he speaks to us through the word of God and hopefully sometimes through the preaching of the word of God he speaks to us through one another in conversations he speaks to us when we're reading the Bible for ourselves devotionally just wanting to hear from God but he also speaks to us in times of worship. Worship is actually for God. It's not, we don't come here to see what we can get out of it. It's what we give. But so often while we're worshiping God, he just comes and speaks to us. He speaks through prophecy. He speaks through the singing of songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He speaks to us. We need to be a church that realizes God is able to speak to us and we need to listen and to hear what he's saying. Don't rush on. If God is speaking to you this morning, hold it in your heart and Apply what he's saying into your life. And I've entitled this word just simply hearing and doing. And uh, in James chapter 1, we get to verse 22. You'd have read it with me, where actually this is highlighted. Be doers and not hearers only, it says in verse 22, thus deceiving yourselves. And even here we see this principle of hearing and doing in in this regard that sometimes we think that because we've heard something, we've done it. I've spoken to people who have got uh, issues in their lives and I said to them, but didn't you hear what was said last Sunday when the guy was preaching? They said, oh, I've, I've already heard that sermon many times. I don't think you've heard anything unless you're doing what you've heard. And that's what James is saying. We kind of deceive ourselves if we think that when we just hear something, that's the end of the story. The whole basis of this message this morning is it's good to learn how to hear, but you've never really heard anything. 
unless you are doing what you've heard. And when you're doing what you've heard, you can put your hand up and say, I think I've really heard from God. You're kind of in denial. And verse 23 says it's like looking in the mirror. You're self-absorbed when you just hear something, but you don't do it. It's like a grooming process. Some of us groom more these days than we used to. Some of you guys have got beards. You spend more hours trimming them than you once did before. But then you walk away and you forget. What does that mean? Well, it's superficial. It's temporary. It's fleeting. Looking into a mirror doesn't actually change you. And you forget. You forget what you've heard. You forget what you look like. You forget what you've heard because you move on. And in contrast to that, verse 25 says, but the one who looks, and it really means the root word there is to not only look, but to look with intent because you're going to do something about it. When you look into the word of God, this funny phrase is the perfect law, the, the law of liberty. Many commentators say that what James was doing was saying, yeah, it's the Old Testament, but it's also the words of Jesus, the red letters in your Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. When you dig into these things and you give yourself to these things, you look at them, but then you apply them, then you're blessed, it says in that verse. Do you know why? Because then you change. So the whole point of the word of God, hearing it, is to change us. But the only way it changes us is not only just to hear it fleetingly looking in a mirror, but rather to give yourself to it so you're determined to do it. That is what will bring the change. It's a sobering word this morning. I have no idea how many sermons I've heard in my life and how many of them have actually not really penetrated my life because I've looked at them, sometimes think, oh, I've heard that before. Or I've looked at them thinking, well, I'm kind of half hearing it. How many of those words have really changed me are the words that I've gone and done something about what I have heard. Look at verse 25. I think this is so powerful as a principle where it says this, but no hearer who forgets. But sorry, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Are we hearers who quickly forget? <laughs> Sometimes I've spoken to people and I've said to them at one o'clock in the afternoon, what did he speak on this morning? And there's a dumb look. I just can't remember. And by the time you've had some, a good meal, it's really gone by then. It's just so strange how quickly we are to forget what we hear. Here's the key. Be a doer of the word. Be someone who sits there thinking, yes, Lord, that's for me. I know I need to change in this area. I'm going to do something about it. Because it says here, but be a doer who acts. Every time God speaks, whether it's through a preached word, through your devotions, talking to a friend, in worship like this morning, already God said to us to things in our worship, question is, what are you going to do about this? What are the changes that need to be made that are here? So real quickly, I want to try and unpackage this concept of hearing and doing, and hopefully it will be um, in a good way. I've got a sneaky suspicion that all through this word, you need to be listening. Four points. Number one, hearing and doing go hand in hand. If you separate 
them from one another, so you just hear and you do not do. At best, you're just full of head knowledge. You know certain things. If your memory is good, you can mem remember some of the things you heard from last week. Can you remember what was preached on last week or the week before? Or You remember things. Some of us in this room today don't have very good memories. I've got good news for you later on. It's got nothing to do with memory. Did you hear that? Jesus often spoke to the religious people of his day, particularly the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He says, well, you have a lot of knowledge. You know a lot of stuff. But here's the deal. You never work it out in your lives. You're hypocrites. You just know things. You've separated hearing, reading of scripture off by heart, from the fact that all of this reading of scripture off by heart is meant to penetrate your life and then make a difference and to change you. It's not what you know, it's what you do. And when we combine hearing and doing hand in hand, then that makes the change. This is a massive challenge for us Christians. Because people are not looking at what you know. They're looking at what you do. It's your lifestyle that's attractive, not your knowledge. It's not how many sermons you've heard. It's how many of them you apply to your life that people will look and say, my goodness, you're going through. The whole of the Shine series that we looked at for weeks and weeks and weeks was basically known as trying to say we make a difference in the workplace because people see the lives that we live. And the whole point of hearing the word and doing it is this. The word of God has been spoken to accomplish something. God's word itself says God sends forth his word and he will keep it until it's accomplished for which he sent it. And the reason you read the word and hear the word is because it's meant for you to go and do something about what you have heard. If not, it's just a noise. The word of God has power to change you. And it only has power to change you, not if you just hear it, but if you apply it and do it in your life. Number two. That was going to be another ten minutes. Number two. Hearing and not doing has consequences. James has already mentioned in verse 22, the consequence is deception. If you just hear and you don't do, you really are deceiving yourselves because you haven't really heard much at all. But even more powerfully than that are the words of Jesus in the very, very well-known scripture. And we'll just read it together, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus said this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was, its, was the fall of it. Now we're looking at the question that hearing and doing has, and not doing has consequences. Has it ever occurred to you that when Jesus spoke these words, 
he was speaking to a crowd of people who were following him. They were followers. They were watching him and feeding on every word and seeing the miracles. We don't know whether they're all disciples, but they were followers of him. And he divides all the people listening to him into two camps. And he says, some of you are hearers of the word only. And some of you are hearers and doers. This is not a word for non-Christians and Christians. It's a word primarily for Christians. You can hear the word week by week and not do it. And there are consequences. Or you can hear the word and do the word and there are consequences for you as well. And it's sobering to realize that I could be a hearer only and it really has repercussions. A storm comes and those who hear only crash. In other words, when the word was preached and the storm came, the word made no difference whatsoever to how you handled the storm. But then there are those of you who are hearers of the words and doers of the words. And when the storm comes, what you heard makes a massive difference into your life. Are you still with me? It's not complicated. It's kind of like this. James Silly stands up on a Sunday morning and preaches an outstanding word. He could preach no other. An outstanding word on the subject of the sovereignty of God. That God is in control of all situations and circumstances, whatever life throws at you. And not only that, but he's a faithful God and he has made promises and he's faithful to those promises and he'll be with you whatever happens. Sunday. Wednesday, some pretty awful event happens in your life that you did not see coming. It's just suddenly hit you like a storm. And it applies like this. One person caves in at that moment because there doesn't seem to be any application of anything that was said in the Sunday morning service at all. But the person, when the storm comes and they say, hang on a minute, just before I cave in, because that's what I feel emotionally and physically and in and, and, and every way I'm going to do. I heard something on Sunday. It was about God being sovereign. It's about God being faithful. It's about God working all things to his pleasure. And Father, I don't understand what I'm going in, but I now take what I heard and I apply it to this situation. I believe you're sovereign. You're in control. All things work together for good. I'm putting my faith in you. You won't depart from me. You will always be with me. And rather than crashing in the storm, you stand firm upon the rock. So this thing of hearing and not doing has consequences in all our lives. Number three. Hearing and the desire to do what you've heard is a proof of conversion. Whoa. What on earth are you talking about? I think the whole message of James, I don't want to steal the thunder of those who will be coming in later chapters. But the whole mission of message of James is summed up in this phrase... Faith without works is dead. In other words, you know someone's become a Christian by the things that they do. If they've become a Christian and there's nothing as a result, there's no outworking, nothing is being done in their lives, it seriously raises a, 
a question as to whether they were truly saved. Jesus said, by their fruits, you would know them. By the outworking, you can see someone's become a Christian. There's no doubt about it because of things that are happening in their lives. Faith without works is actually dead. It's of no purpose. It's genuine when from the new life of Jesus within you, things start to flow from that. Deeds. It's not your knowledge or even your gifts that people take note of. It's the life of Jesus that's there. The proof of justification by faith, which is incidentally the part that you can't do anything about. You are justified by faith because you realize that the the whole work of the cross and everything Jesus did wasn't something that you did. It was something that he did on your behalf and you believe it. You can't work your way or be good enough to receive it. Can't do good deeds to get saved. But then we realize that being justified by faith, there will then be tangible fruit that could be seen. It's an interesting passage in the Acts of the Apostles in Acts chapter 11 when um, uh, Barnabas is asked if he would go down to Antioch where the gospel's been preached to Gentiles and the church in Jerusalem isn't sure whether or not this is the real deal. So they sent Barnabas. He was a good guy. They said, Barnabas, would you go down to Antioch and check out whether these people are truly saved? And this wonderful verse, as Barnabas was going amongst them to try and discover whether they're the real deal, he said, and he saw the evidence of the grace of God amongst them. What does that mean? He saw tangible fruit. He saw people that were not just hearing the word, but doing the word. He saw people that were hearing from God and were passionately desiring to do the word of God. And for Barnabas, it was a proof of their conversion. They were clearly saved. How do you know that someone's saved? How do you know that you're saved? Well, the Bible is very clear because there are things that are happening in your life. This is an interesting verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we've passed out of death into life, become Christians, because we love our brothers and sisters. We know that person's saved because they've given up smoking. No. We know that they're saved. Because they're now people that are ultra generous. No. We know they're saved because they love a tangible fruit. And love cannot just be a concept. It has to be something with a lot of doing in it. it, it it's practical. It outworks. As far as Jane's concerned, it is watching what you say, being slow to anger, and it is looking after widows and orphans. It is not super spiritual. It's not people I've been saved and I'm just waiting upon the Lord to show me what to do. No, you go and express your love to people. It's compassion. It's something that naturally comes from you. We know that you've passed from death to life in that there's tangible fruit. You want to do the will of God. First thing you want to do is get baptized in water. You shouldn't have to persuade a Christian to be baptized in water because a Christian is someone who wants to obey Jesus. I can't wait to be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. It's a natural outworking of hearing the gospel. The first thing you can do is get baptized. 
Then you hear about the baptism in the spirit. Well, what can I do about that? You hunger, you thirst, you have faith to believe that, that you, you, you can have more of God in your life. In the Christian, there's always a longing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're touching on that in our worship today. You know that someone's a Christian because there's a bias in them now to be like Jesus, to hate sin, to become more and more holy, to share your faith. All of this flows naturally from conversion. But in the context of what we're looking at today, I want to say the same thing. Hearing and a desire to do what God says. Yes, it's a fruit or it's a proof of conversion. There is a desire in you that really wants to do what you hear. And this is good news. There's something in you that bubbles up and says, I, I really want this difficult, but I really want to put this into action. I want to do what I am hearing. That's God's word for us. And I've, I, I've, I've worded it very carefully, this point three. <laughs> it's hearing with a desire to do. Lest any of you think, well, I can't be a Christian because I hear things and I don't do them. No, it's hearing but with a longing. I, I don't do everything I hear, neither do you, but I sure want to. There's a God-given thing inside of me that's longing for that to happen. Point number four. All hearing demands action. All hearing demands action. Do you know, even salvation demands an action from you. You may be here today and you may not be a Christian. You may be brought by a friend or you're on Alpha Course or you're just looking into this whole thing about Jesus and Christianity. And I think it's a wonderful thing to keep looking at Jesus and hearing about him. The more you look, the more you hear about him. You are either drawn to him or you kind of oppose him. And, uh, and what you find is that you can keep on hearing and keep on hearing and keep on hearing, but there needs to be a moment where you move into action about what you've heard. So Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Look at the next phrase. If anyone hears. So here we are again, even in the gospel, the hearing and doing thing. If anyone hears my voice, says Jesus, and then opens the door. See, there's action involved. You can keep hearing about Jesus, but you need to open the door. You can keep looking and looking and looking, but there comes a moment we have to say, Jesus, I'm opening the door. I heard about Jesus and the gospel for years, reluctantly, week after week, month after month, year after year, made no difference until there was action. Hearing demands action. And there came a day when I said, Jesus, I'm going to open the door. Please, would you come in and have fellowship? with me. And so it goes on from that moment of conversion. All hearing demands an action. And this is the crunch of what we really are looking at this morning. If you're hearing a word from God, and we've already seen how important there'll be consequences if we don't do the word that we've heard, this is the point that really needs to hit home to us. So we preach a word one Sunday on forgiveness. 
and you sit there and you listen to this word on forgiveness and how Jesus has forgiven us and how we ought to forgive one another. And you know there are people that you really need to go and ask for forgiveness or to forgive them. It doesn't matter how anointed and how brilliant the word on forgiveness is. It's not going to make any difference until you move into action. Do you hear what I'm saying? That you actually go and forgive someone. You come out and say, oh, I, was really, I was really convicted by the word on forgiveness this morning. So, so what? If you're really convicted by the word that was preached on forgiveness, you're going to do something about it. Two Saturdays ago, I spent the whole day preaching to three or four churches in the north of London on the subject of renewing the mind. I have absolutely no idea whether it made any difference to anybody. I really don't. Because the only way that tangibly that word would have made any difference is the people who were listening to how to renew their mind, put down some notes, went away and thought about it, and started to apply the things that they heard. Has it changed them? I don't know. Let's get a bit closer to home. Finances. We've told, you know, we've, we've even apologized publicly for our lack, our disobedience in preaching to you about money. Because the Bible's full of it. We don't want to upset anybody. You hear a word on giving. <laughs> and you get convicted. You think, oh, I really should. Nothing makes any difference. I mean, the old-fashioned way word would be until you put your hand in your pocket. But now, of course, it's done other ways. But you've got to do something about what you hear. Because surely hearing will cause a, 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 some action which is going to be a fantastic blessing to you into your future. Can I just say, I think conviction is a bit overrated. I, I know so many people who say, oh, I'm so convicted. Good for you. Almost as if it's a kind of spiritual impartation. I'm, I'm convicted. Good for you. I, I've got some, <laughs> I know some people say, oh, I've been convicted for years. This is getting really bad. I'm not sure conviction is all that it's cracked up to be. If genuine, genuinely you are convicted, surely you'll begin to do something. Because if you don't, you're just going to stay convicted. and It doesn't do anyone any help whatsoever. Let me really quickly apply this word, <coughs> if I can. How many of you were here a few weeks ago during our Shine series and I preached on the subject of stress? Would you like to put your hand up, please, if you heard a word on stress? The vast majority of it. It's good. Go online for those of you who haven't heard it. You need to hear it so you can do it. Has it made any difference? One? Anybody? Two? Three, four. If it made any difference to the four of you that heard this word... It is because you went and did something about what you heard. How many of you, I'm going to just a reminder real quick, have looked at the birds, have considered the lilies? How many of you, as Jesus said, have started to live differently because I'm going to live one day at a time because tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own? How many of you have taken some time out to know yourself? We talked about that. How you respond to stressful situations is different from other people. 
Have you taken some time out to really analyze how you respond? How many of you thought about rest or thought about Sabbath? Psalm 131, I still myself within. I mean, I'm cheating because I've got all my notes down here so I can remember it all. How many of you have taken an extra hour to sleep? How many of you have gone to bed earlier than you used to? I mean, these were all things that we touched on. You all sat there going. How many of you have got more organized than you used to be? Because procrastination is really a bad thing when it comes to dealing with stress. How many of you have spent more time thinking about your devotional life? And if today you say, I'm still as stressed as I was before you preached it. In fact, after you preached it, I felt more stressed because I was stressed about what I'm going to do about it. (laughs) Then the reality is this. You still stay stressed. Read every verse in the Bible about dealing with anxiety. It only makes a difference when you say, Lord, would you please get this in me? I want to give myself to this so that I can live without stress. So the question is, even on a few weeks ago, did you hear the word and have you done anything about it? And even today, as I presume you are hearing this word, what are you going to do about it? That's immediate application, doesn't it? So we finished with three challenges. Challenge number one, teaching. I think us teachers have real concerns, the people who teach God's word. And as I've said, this is not just about preaching. It's about you reading the word, friends speaking to you. You've got it, okay? God speaks to you in many different ways, same principle. But when those of us who teach the word teach, it is a real issue. You just need to know this, that we live with. I live with it a lot. Is anyone going to do anything about what was said? Will they remember anything? Or will they have forgotten it all by this afternoon? It, f- it frightens me to think of the endless sermons, good ones, bad ones, long ones, tedious ones, anointed ones, that have borne little fruit, not because of the preacher, but because of our lack of application. Do we hear too much? Just throwing it out. Do we move on too quickly from what we've heard? Should we take more time to absorb what we've heard? I think repetition is a good thing. Say it again, say it again. I was in a conference in Romania last weekend, and it it turned out the team I took, two guys had got identical words, and they didn't know what to do. I said, you preach the first one, and you preach it all over again. Don't worry about it, because the people will need to hear it again. God's wanting to speak to them. I think it's frightening for me. As I think of the words, all the words I've already heard in 2017. And the fact that I can't remember half of them. And I've not applied them into my life. Second challenge is this. The challenge of listening. Hearing. We live in a generation that's flooded with social media. I I was told a few years ago, the thing is these days... The problem is we're a visual generation. We can't listen to long speeches because we're visual. Now I've discovered recently, even when it's visual, you're looking at something. You're also on Facebook. You're on Twitter. You're having a conversation with somebody. You're making a t- Which is okay when it's Eurovision Song Contest because no one's listening anyway or watching properly. 
But the reality is, even then, you're multi-everything. multi, multi everything. You're only half listening to anything. And I think this is actually a major challenge. Here's the good news. I mentioned it earlier about bad memories. I think the whole deal of listening is about the heart. It's not about your memory programs in your brain. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Good listeners are people who say, Lord, I know I've heard this before, but I'm here again. I want to hear it. Lord, I, I'm being spoken to right now. Forget about all the people around me. Lord, I, and what it is is a teachable heart. We need teachable hearts. You might not remember what was said last Sunday, but if you had a teachable heart, it means you're able to apply what you've heard because your heart is open. It's so interesting that Jesus spoke about good soil, that when the seed is sown and it bears fruit, it's always going to be fruit when the, the fruit of uh, the soil of your heart is good and receptive. Do you have good soil? Are you saying, teach me again, Lord? I need to hear this over and over again into my life. And I would say, very practical at this point, if listening and concentrating is hard work, then do something about it. Do whatever you need to do to tune in to this. Engage with the word of God. Some of you today are making notes. Do you know what? It's good to do that. But even that is not doing the word. It's just words in your notebook. But the reality is it's good to do that. I know one church where they actually taught, this is quite some years ago, that if you felt you weren't hearing the word, you had, the, you had, you had permission. Everybody needs to stand where you were so that you could listen a little bit more carefully. And I said, but what happens if everybody's standing? Must mean that the sermon was really, really boring. <laughs> one by one they stood to hear the word. Acts chapter 2, it says this, they devoted themselves to teaching. What does that mean? That means they went over and over and over again. They reread it, they prayed over it until it became part of their life. And the final challenge is this, the challenge of doing, the challenge of teaching, the challenge of listening, and then the challenge of doing. I have um, three, three notepads which are pretty full now of things I feel God has spoken to me about. Um, and I keep them on my desk at home, and I often go over them. And it is both encouraging and sobering, all at the same time. Encouraging, oh, I've actually begun to apply that in my life. Sobering, when I realize I've done very little about it. I've been too busy, or I've forgotten, or whatever. We need to be students of the word of God not just hearers but doers also this is a strange kind of word to preach because it's kind of preaching about something but I believe this is absolutely massive the consequences of a church full of people who are good at hearing and then finding practical ways to do what they've heard is absolutely massive it'll be personal transformation for you and it would be massively attractive to people who are looking at you from the outside because your life and your lives will be dramatically changed. Let's pray.